Let's pray. Amen. Thank you, God, for today. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you and different languages. Thank you for the opportunity to get to see each other for the the gift of just being able to worship you. The gift of being comfortable with ourselves. The gift of start fostering an environment of freedom and a place where we can be who we are. Knowing that we are welcomed by you. So I pray that you can talk to us today to, to the passage through the Abigail story that we're going to be sharing today, that we can not only learn something new about you, not only learn how to take leaps of faith, but that also we can live today with a renewed way of looking at scriptures, trying to see those people that we see as secondary characters, that according to our interpretation might be secondary characters, but to you were the protagonists, the ones who carried along your calling for us, your followers. In Jesus' name, we pray all this. Amen. May we see that? Good morning. I hope you had the worst coffee you can have. I made it. I still need to learn how to measure. It will wake you up. That's for sure. I don't know if it's that good. I need to learn how to measure how much coffee I need to put in that machine that we have over there. But the pastries are good. And it's a good day. Argentina won um, the championship yesterday. So it's a good day. Pretty happy about it. So let's go to the story for today. So last week we spoke about Peter. This week we're going to talk, we're going to travel to the Old Testament, to the book of Samuel, and we're going to talk about a, a lady, a woman called Abigail, and a couple of men that are around her. One is King Saul, the other one is the future King David, and the one that can, and, and her husband, Naval. Um, there are a lot of men in this story, named throughout these passages, which is like 40 Bible verses, and I'm not going to read the entire, all the Bible verses that will be tortuous for me trying to read it, and will be even worse for you trying to smile and pretend that you understand what I'm saying. So I'm, <laughs> so I'm only going to read a couple of verses about that, so I'm going to be summarizing the story for you. But spoilers alert, every man in this story is technically an idiot. Just to give you a con uh, um, the context. So, there are a couple of things before the story starts to happen that are set into place. There is a big, major political conflict in the kingdom. So, we have a king called Saul who was anointed by Samuel when people of Israel were saying, like, we want to be like every other country. We want a king. So God tells Samuel, you know what? There is a guy, 
um, go and anoint this guy. He's going to be the new king. And the Holy Spirit came upon them, and he was um, tall and strong and good-looking. He was the perfect king. So he was Saul. But Saul started to just mess it up little by little. So Samuel, the prophet, who was the religious power in that moment, received a message from God and said, God said to him, you know what? I have another king ready for Israel. Go to this place. So, you know, we all know the story that Jesse, David's dad, comes and says, okay, this is my first son. And God said to Samuel, no, it's not. It's my second, no. My third one, no. Fourth, fifth. The seventh one, okay, this is the one that I want to anoint, and this is David. So David has come to the ranks, uh, that went up in the letter of ranks of the kingdom when he killed the giant, you know, David and Goliath. We all know that one. And then his popularity just went through the roof, and then we don't know exactly how, but he became like this um, mastermind in terms of war, wars, and people started to worship him, and there was a problem for Saul. Even though Saul needed to keep David right there, so Saul gave one of his daughters uh, to marry David. And little by little, Saul starts getting jealous and tries to kill David, so David decides to run. So David's popularity was big, so a couple of hundred men run away from him. So he's running through the kingdom, escaping Saul, and trying to survive with a couple of hundred men. Now, Samuel the prophet dies. With that, David's only religious and political protection dies too, so he becomes even a bigger target. So while David is on the way, running with his men, they're hungry, but they don't, they don't steal. They don't kill people. You know, they, he, he doesn't go around killing everybody that is against him, but if you're against him, one way or another, you're going to end up dead. I don't know exactly how it happens. But, and also, contrary to popular belief, David was not constantly doing everything out of the goodness of his heart. He was not such a beautiful person as we think he was. And we're going to see it here. Because in this story, there is a very powerful, a wealthy man called Naval, whose shepherds were taking care of his sheep. And, you know, when they're on the, um, on the land, the shepherds and the sheep are easy targets for thieves and murderers. So David and David's men surrounds these shepherds and their sheep to protect them. And that's really nice. David and David's men were so nice and so kind. And they just did it a free will. But then suddenly David decides to make a run for it and, say, and send his men to Naval and saying, hey, so we protected your sheep and your shepherds. We, we just did it a free will. We don't want anything you know, in payment. But if you want to help us with some food, it will be okay. And this is what Nabal answers. Let me just read this passage. It's from verses 9 to 11, and it goes like this. David's young men 
went and delivered his message word for word to Naval. Naval turned into them and said, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? This country is full of runaway servants these days. Do you think I'm going to take good bread and wine and meat freshly butchered for my shepherds and give it to a man I never laid eyes on? Who knows where they come from? Now you need to understand something. David was a very powerful man. And this is a call back to Exodus 2. When Naval says, who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? What the writer is trying to, to tell us is, first of all, what kind of man Naval is? Because in Exodus 2, Pharaoh gives the same answer to Moses. Who is this God you're talking about? It's like a very arrogant kind of answer. But David was powerful. Like, how in the world does this man not know who David is? You know, if I'm David, and for what I read of him, you know, he's, he thinks very highly of himself too, even though he writes about humility, he, he, he does use a lot of his power to his advantage. But I will be thinking, doesn't this man hear about how he killed the giant? Hasn't this man heard about the songs that people have been written about me, like Saul killed thousands, but I, David killed tens of thousands? Hasn't this guy know that a guy called David had married the king's daughter? Hasn't this guy heard about me? So David was pissed. He did not like that answer at all. It could be maybe because he was proudful and because this guy said, I don't know you. David felt insulted. Or it could be because David felt like, hey, I freely protect your guys and you're not even going to give me a little bit of bread. So this tension starts to rise, um, to grow. We have a anointed guy who's running away from the kid. Also, when Naval says servants, that's the word for slaves. So he's saying, like, the country is packed with slaves that are running away. Like, if he was breaking also some kind of rules. So David was angry and decides to go get most of his men and go to Nadal's, Naval's land and kill him and everybody around him. So Naval has servants. And he also had a wife, Abigail, and his servants go to Abigail. And you can tell what kind of person Naval was and and for the way that the servants talk about him. Because they tell Abigail, your your husband, the fool, which Naval means fool, or the brute, or the idiot, did this to David and his men. And now David is coming to kill us. So what Abigail does, tell all his servants without talking to her husband, goes to his servants and said, her servants and said, prepare food and drinks and take it over there to David and his men before he comes here. I'll join you. And this is what the passage says. Verses from the 20, 23 to 27. I think I have that one there. As soon as Abigail saw David, so she reached out to David. We're talking about here a wealthy and powerful woman. 
She got off her donkey and fell on her knees at his feet, her face on the ground in homage, saying, My master, let me take the blame. The blame. Let me speak to you. Listen to what I have to say. Don't dwell on what the brute Naval did. He acts out of his name. Naval means fool. Foolishness oses from him. It kind of sucks when your name just already tells the kind of person you are. It wasn't there. She said, I wasn't there when the young men my master sent arrived. I didn't see them. And now my master, as God lives, and as you leave, God has kept you from this avenging murder and my your enemies, all who seeks my master's harm, end up like Naval. Now take this gift that I, your servant girl, which is also the same word for slave, has brought to my master and give it to the young men who follow in the steps of my master. She brought food for everybody, but her constant action was a submission. David was not king yet, and she could have been like her husband, but she just said, and, and for the way it's written, it seems like she was begging for her, for her life, just listen to me. Before you do whatever you're going to do, just pay attention to what I'm saying. My husband is an fool. My husband is a brute. I wasn't there. I could have saved him. And David, after learning all this, forgives Abigail, for, kind of forgets about the situation, and stops. Doesn't go and kill Nawal. So after Abigail saved one situation, she needed to go and fix the other one because she didn't tell her husband what she did. So her husband was throwing a party, showing everybody how awesome he is, so he go to her husband, and because he was having such a good time in the party, she didn't want to ruin it, so she waited until next day. So when he got up, she told everything that had happened. So this guy, David, that you didn't want to give food to, was coming to kill you. And I had to go and stop him, and I gave him a lot of food and drink. And then suddenly, so what scripture says in the story is that Naval got either a heart attack or a stroke. He could not handle the pressure of the situation and he just died on the spot. When David learned all this, he asked Abigail to marry him and she became the queen. End of story. I think that's even better than me reading the whole story. So we can, we can move on now. So this story is, is a, it's just, it's a sermon in itself. This story is extremely, extremely powerful. And it could be read in a couple of different ways. And, and this is the different ways that I also heard it being read too. Could be the story about how David and David's calling and anointing of God over him have been following him and protecting him that everybody that was standing on David's way was removed by God, showing God's provision. It could have been seen as a story of David and his own militia trying to survive through the kingdom until everything comes to such a climax that David becomes the king. 
But if you want, so that could be like the patriarchal way we learn to read this story. And there are a couple of uh, writers that I like who enjoy highlighting what we know as the secondary characters in the story in a way that at the end of every story they say, well, they are not secondary stories, um, characters. They are the main character of the story. What we need to try to avoid is that we need to try, we need to, try to avoid when we read scriptures that the shiny characters do not uh, cast a shadow over the real instruments of God and the people that were actually being guided by God. Because we have two people here. We have Abigail and we have David. So David was the anointed one. David uh, was the one who had the Holy Spirit coming upon him. David was the one who's going to be the king. David is the one who is supposed to make the wise decisions. Then we have Naval, Abigail's husband, and scripture says that, you know, he is a brute. He is a fool. And then the way scripture describes Abigail, it goes as a woman that was intelligent and good looking. Maybe she knew that. That's why she went in front of David and tried to captivate him and then charm him with her, her words. Because you can tell David's, how David is such a proudful man by the words that she used. She did humiliate herself in front of him. But she knew that the only way to wrap this man around her finger was telling him what a great guy he was, which he was not. She seemed to be the one with the divine wisdom. She knew how to approach David, and she knew how to approach Naval. She was somebody who's had a lot of wealth, yet she was humble enough that she had a great relationship with her servants. Because what other person would have such a great relationship with her servants that her servants will be okay telling her, your husband, the brute, your husband, the fool, they probably had a good relationship because they were trash-talking her husband, and that was okay. Seems like she was the kind of person who didn't let her status get over her head. So now to the reason of the leaf of faith. Because what she did was sacrificial. She put herself in the middle of two literal idiots, so to speak. And she did not only save lives that day, but she probably saved the future kingdom too. So she had a husband who could not have a rational conversation with anybody. So she dismissed everything that her husband said, took it upon herself to take things from her house with her servants to take it to David, another man full of pride and rage that was coming to kill Amen. So she put her life in risk by approaching David. And after solving that situation, she put her own life at risk again, having to approach her husband about what happened and what she did. Now, that is a big leap of faith. Like in the New Testament, when we talked the story about Peter last week, he was, the, the enemy were 
the elements. He was walking on water. Jesus was there. They were the disciples. They saw the miracles happening. This was a woman in the Old Testament. Almost anything she can do could get her killed. She was defying her husband. She was defying a rebel who was going to become a future king. She was pretty awesome. And she disregarded her own life. Salvation in this story comes comes through the most unexpected person. She did not let who she was stop God from doing something good. Knowing what she had, knowing who she was, she turned that around in a way that was God-like. It was servant-like. She went and talked to David and said, My master, I am your servant. The price, this is not like a Disney story. Like You can say, hey, well, the price was that she took a leap of faith and then she became a princess. Married to David, and they were happy ever after. Because if you read the rest of the story of David, he had a couple of wives. That was not happy ever after for anybody. Um, but her price was that she got to save lives, even the future of the kingdom. Because when she, she talks to David, and you can read the whole passage at home, she talks to David saying, don't let these murders be on your conscience. This is going to come and hunt you down. This could have been terrible for David's um, future as a king. He could have been known as somebody that if you are against him, he will kill you. So, so much for mercy. She stops David from doing something that will ruin his reputation. Because in the moment he ascends, that story of him murdering Naval was going to come. And you can see it today. Like when you... When you have uh, people that are running for political positions and their stories come up and ruin their entire reputation and they are unelectable, it was not very different than back then. Because David was not the son of a king, so he technically did not have a right to the kingdom. He had to earn it. And if you're a man of God, mercy is one of the main things you have to have. So the reality is that today, society needs more men and women, like Abigail, capable to fight for peace and capable to fight for justice, avoiding hate and avoiding revenge. People committed to do good, ready to announce and denounce everything that goes for and against God's plan to the world. This woman, Abigail, took one of the biggest leaps of faith that we can see in Scripture. Because she didn't have Jesus like Peter last week, we saw last week, reaching out to him and save him. She was against a wall. She went to talk to David to save a bunch of men. And then she went to talk to her husband to try to make sense with him, risking also her life. This is the kind of calling that leaps of faith are taking us. This is what we are called to do as followers of Christ. So I invite you, 
to reflect. Because sometimes when we talk about leap of faith, we're thinking about the reward that is coming. And, and I talked a little bit about that last Sunday. But in this case, she took a leap of faith that I, the only reward that I'm pretty sure was in her mind is that people are not going to get killed. It wasn't, didn't have anything to do with the reward that she will take home. It had to do with the life that she was going to save, even the life of a brute and a fool like her husband. So take home this with you today and reflect. Think about your surroundings, think about your work, think about your life. What kind of, what kind of leaps of faith is God asking you to take? Now we read the stories of scripture and they seem like they all happen in one day. Leap of faith are a process. Are a lot of them are a lifetime process. It's not something that we do something today to see a result tomorrow. Many, even many leaps of faith, we, we don't see the results until after we are gone. But what is the leap of faith that God is asking you to take today or to start reflecting on for the sake of justice, for the sake of love, for the sake to go against revenge and hate? The good news is that when the steps and the leap of faith that we take are aligned with what God wants, we're always, always going to walk in victory, even if that victory doesn't seem a reward that we're going to see in that moment. Let me pray. Leap of faith, God, is... It's something that we constantly wrestle with in our Christian life. When we need to make a big financial decision for our lives, we see it as a leap of faith. When we choose to move, we see leaps of faith. When we start a new path, we see it as a leap of faith. When we start new relationships, we see it as a leap of faith. Because we don't know what's going to happen. But God, we have never, or many of us, have never seen ourselves in a situation where taking a leap of faith meant life or death. And we might never be. But this is what I'm praying for today. That maybe life and death is not what is ahead for our leap of faith. But maybe our leap of faith involves changing and saving just the life of other people that is not ours. As individuals, as families, as a church, as a community, God, what are the leap of faith that you're asking us to take that is putting us against the wall, but is for the sake of others? God, I pray that your Holy Spirit can inspire us in the same way that inspire Abigail, that she did not see a reward, that she was only facing dead on the two corners. Yet, she still do the best for others. 
and you still found a way to save her life. And on her humiliating herself and seeing herself as a servant of a nobody became the queen of the kingdom that was coming. So I pray that we can be like her. That we don't let ourselves be enchanted by these shiny characters in the Bible that are covered with glory, but that we can see ourselves as humble servants of you and that you let us serve you and your kingdom in the best way we know, guided by your Holy Spirit. And on that note, talking about being covered with glory and richness and power and the humility of becoming a servant, we remember the sacrifice that you did. Like even though you were God, even though you brought people to life, you performed amazing miracles, you were the king of kings. You decided to become a servant of God and a servant to us. You washed your disciples' feet and you gave your life mimicking Abigail's action. You, the servant at all, gave your life for us. So brothers and sisters, I invite you to remember that on the night that Christ was going to be betrayed, he took the bread and said, this is my body that will be broken for you. And then after dinner was over, he took the cup and said, this is my blood who will be shed for the healings of the nation. So Abigail, thousands of years early, was a representation of what Christ did. Abigail's life and a lot of lives were saved too. And with Jesus' sacrifice, we have the good news that we can rec be recognized as daughters and sons of God. So I invite you, with that confidence, to stand if you're able and say with me the prayer that Jesus taught us. Padre nuestro que estás en el cielo, santificado sea tu nombre. Venga a nosotros tu reino. Hágase tu voluntad en la tierra como en el cielo. Danos hoy nuestro pan de cada día y perdona nuestras ofensas, así como nosotros perdonamos a quienes nos ofenden. No nos dejes caer en tentación, mas líbranos del mal, porque tuyo es el reino, el poder y la gloria, por todos los siglos. Amén.